Spencer Lodge. Happy New Year. How are you doing? I'm good. Happy New Year to you too. It's very good to have you on. I think the first thing I want to speak to you about straight away is goal setting. How have you set your goals this year? They're looking good. What's it looking like for 2024? Goals. My goals are always reverse engineered. So I start off with a goal for a year. I break it down into 90-day segments. And then those 90 days, I can see the finish line. And that's always important to me to be able to see that finish line rather than it being so far ahead that maybe I could dip. And proof of that comes in the way the stock markets work. You find that at the beginning of every year, uh, the stock markets generally tend to perform well in Q1. They slow down in Q2, totally in Q3, and then in Q4 they accelerate again. And that's because stockbrokers get bonuses at Christmas. So they start off with great intentions, then they start to wane, and then they realize in the last quarter they better get their socks pulled up and their skates (laughs) on, and then they hustle again, and then the markets perform again, and a lot of that's driven by their bonuses. That's interesting. So this is a similar way that you look at your year. Like, yeah, so I just, I just break the year there. Instead of having that one-year goal, it's just like break that down. Let's give myself a 90-day goal. Yeah. That's 13 weeks. Now, if I've got 90 days, what, what's my objective? Then break it down, and then it has to be the actions I need to take. I never measure the outcome. So I, I can only control oh. the input. And there's nothing I can do about the output. The input is all I can control. So I focus on the actions I need to take every day to achieve my desired goal. I really like the way of doing that because I think so many people overestimate what they can do in the short term and underestimate what they can do in the long term, but they only plan for the long term, don't they? So they then break it down and go, what could I actually have done in Q1 by the time it's Q2? And they start missing stuff around. That's a really good thing to do. I think we've done a very similar thing. I'll speak to you after. I'm sure we have. I hope we have. I wanted to start to you with you by talking about the unsexy side of business because I think we speak to people on this podcast before and lots of you know, people in Dubai and London about how cool it is to be an entrepreneur. How cool it is to talk about your methodologies and do videos and social media and (coughs) even podcasting. But people that don't succeed are always the ones, in my opinion, that don't nail sales. And you are someone that's got a very interesting background in financial services, um, building incredible businesses. But you started with sales. So I want to talk to you about and ask you, what is the principle of sales that you think you learned straight away or early on that helped you stand out in your business career? Um. It's a good question to start with, actually, but something that I think that most people in sales misunderstand. And and most people, in in fairness, fail in sales. Number one, they fail because they fear sales. And number two, they don't understand it's all about systems and processes. So the first thing we have to understand in sales is that, number one, not everyone's going to say yes. And we have to get over that, you know. We're going to have people that say no. And it's not because uh, of you personally. It could be your product. It could be your service. I mean... How, how arrogant would you think you would you be to think that everyone's going to buy your product and service? That that's just dumb. So we have to accept that not everyone's going to say yes. Some people are going to say no. And how are we going to deal with the no's? And so this is what I was taught. I was 18 years old, and my boss said to me on the first day of the job, "I want you to go and knock on 100 doors, and I want you to make 100 cold calls, and I want you to make sure that everyone says no." And no I was way. like, I'm a kid, I don't know. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know, I'm in an office and these people with suits on and I've, you know, I've got my first ever suit on. And so <laughs> I'm just like soaking up this information. And so I got to the end of the day, made my 100 cold calls and, and, and everyone said no. And he, he gave me a high five. He said, I'll see you tomorrow. And then the next day he said the same to me. He said, go, go and find me 100 people to say no to you. And so I got on the phone that day. And there were some people that might have said, you know, as I got a bit better, might have said maybe, but they said no. And then the next day he said to me, right, I want you to get 99 people to say no to you today. Get me 99. You got, got me 100 yesterday. Just get me 99 today and get me one person to say yes to you. But I need the 99 no's. It's really important. So I got to the end of the day and I got the one yes and I got the 99 no's. 
Now you think that sounds a bit weird, yeah? But what he was teaching me to understand is that you need to understand that a rejection is as important as acceptance. And rejection needs to be part of the day. So 99 no's to one yes, I got a win. But we were focused on the fact that those 99 no's mattered. So as you roll that out, I'm not fearing the no's. I'm looking for the no's. And so when someone says no to me, it's a win. Uh, rather than the no is like, oh, I'm wounded, you know, oh man, that guy doesn't like me, he doesn't, you know, I'm not wounded, I'm like, well, I need the no's, I've got to go get some. And so when you're pursuing no's and you know no's equal winning as well, you then don't fear them. And so then it went 99 to 1, then it went 98 to 2. We think about the odds, 99 to 1 stands, 98 to 2 is 1 in 50. Then it went 96 to 4. And obviously that's one in 25. And slowly I was getting more and more acceptance, but still the vast majority were no's. And because the no's were there, this is where most people in sales fail because that that rejection hurts them. Whereas I knew I needed the no's to get the yes. It's so relatable, isn't it? Because I mean, when you're talking that I'm laughing because I'm like, I have 100% been there, you know, not learning that lesson fast enough and being like, I've, I've spoken to one person today that I could have made a sale with and I didn't get it over the line and that's on me. It's because I guess you put your own self-worth too close to the product when you're first starting in business, right, maybe. And you're not, you don't want that rejection. You really, anything but rejection, you want the money because you're probably, maybe you haven't got enough purpose in your in your business. Maybe you're not solving a big enough problem. You're just looking for that, that money. So mm, sometimes people get sold on their product. Sure. They get passionate 100%. about their product. They believe it's the best thing since sliced bread. And why wouldn't everyone have my product? It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's fantastic. But to who? To you, you know, and you, you, you know, take religion. You know, people went out there with the scriptures of Christianity. It's like, right, everyone's going to be wanting the, you know, the word of God. You know, they're going to take this book that we've got and, you know, God is or everything. Well, not everyone agreed. It's like, okay. <laughs> You believe it, but why does everybody else have to believe it? Why does everybody else have to want to buy this book? You know, just because you wrote it, you've sold it to some people, but the vast majority you haven't. And you think about selling anything, whatever you do with your agency, whatever I do with my agency, most people either don't even understand it, don't have a need, don't have a desire, don't have any money to buy it in the first place. So why would we be that naive to think that all these people should be saying yes? Yeah. And then I guess most people will just ask 10 people, get 10 no's in a month and then give up because it didn't work. And they'll go and focus on something else. Like, can I put money behind paid advertisement and more people will see me, but I still won't have to convert them as easily. Or I can do lead magnets. Do you think it's a distraction when people don't focus on selling and the converting part of business? If you don't make a sale, you don't make any money. Mm. So what's a business without money? It's a hobby. Exactly. So how, how could it be anything other than the most important thing? You have an okay product. You can still sell it. I'm not going to start doing this until my product is perfect. Well, you're an idiot. You know, you really are. You've, you, you've got an okay product. Go sell it. Then keep improving the product. But don't be that naive to think that, that your business is going to be a success just because you've got a really amazing product. What are people going to do? Start knocking on your door when they don't know who you are and they don't know what you do and they don't know how you do it. Mm. That's like kind of like 101 in business. But so many entrepreneurs start the journey, okay, and they're fearful of sales because they're fearful of rejection. They say, I'm not a salesman. Great. So do you write checks for your business? Yes. Do you have to pay salaries? Yes. Do you have to pay bills? Yes. Do you have to pay the tax man? Yes. So you're all of those things. Some of those I'm sure you don't want to be. 
Well, in order to be all those things, you need to be a salesperson too. Mm. And who should be the best salesman in any company? The boss. Definitely, yeah. You've got to tread where everyone's going to tread after you. So it's quite interesting because when you said salesperson there, it's almost seen, and we touched on this at the start actually, derogatorily, that's a word. You know, people don't want to be a salesperson. They don't want to be pushy. They don't want to be sleazy. But you've got to learn conviction because otherwise, like you say, if you've got a good product and you say, you know, it's a, it's a decent product, it'll probably help you. No one's going to buy that. So you've got to, I guess my question is, where, how do you learn conviction? How do you balance, you know, honesty, integrity, and I guess learn conviction in your selling techniques? It's nothing to do with that. Okay. It's all to do with finding enough prospects of people whose problems your product solves. That's all selling is. You've got to find the ecosystem of people, that community of people where your product solves their problem. Okay? So if we're selling water to the Eskimos, we're probably going to struggle. But if we meet some Bedouins in the Sahara Desert and we're selling water, we solve their problem. So you've got to be looking at how your product solves the problem and stop thinking about being a salesperson. You're a business person who's trying to solve a problem for a select group of people. You've got to find out who they are. You've got to find out how big that problem is. You've got to help them see that problem as being a bigger and bigger problem and you as the solution. The end. I love when someone makes it logical because I think you're right. When you look on, even when you look online, to be honest, and a lot of the, the media that we're taking in is online, right? Social media. And people say, this is my tip or my trick to, to social media. Or my, this is how you make a million in a month doing whatever. And by what you just said, the logicality of it is what people are avoiding, isn't it? The magic that they're looking for is in the work they're avoiding. So I guess like the reason, what's the reason for that? Why are people, what's the issue with sales for people? As an entrepreneur, if you're coming up and you're, you're not doing a million a year, why are people trying to outsource selling so quickly or build a personal brand so quickly or avoid, avoid it? What's the worry? Of course, maybe there's rejection in there. It's not, it's just, it's, you're just being an idiot. <laughs> it's as simple as that and you are being an idiot if, if you and I okay had golf shoes to sell yeah. and we went to running tracks we'd probably face a lot of rejection if we have golf shoes to sell and we go to golf courses we're probably going to get more conversions now there'll still be some rejection because some people say oh, I've got golf shoes but then we see some people that are golf shoes are falling apart some people that might want to see some new technology that can help with their swing or whatever it might be but why would we go to the local swimming baths to sell golf shoes? And this is what a lot of people are doing. They've got this scattergun approach. And it's just like, when you try and hit everyone that's ambivalent, you hit no one. So let's focus on the people that your product or service is relevant to. And be laser focused on building relationships with them. And you'll convert some at the beginning. And if you build great relationships with the people that you don't convert, eventually you'll convert some more. Do you want to be talking to people if you sell golf shoes at the swimming baths? No, you want to be talking to golfers. That's the truth of it. You're fascinated with golf. You love golf. You love golf shoes. You love golf shoes, what golf shoes can do. You're really into golf. So guess what? Speak to other people that are like-minded. I guess the only difference then is that the door, the physical door has just become online. and People just get distracted more because there's just more noise, isn't it? I guess that's part of the issue. This is a squeaky old chair we've got going Isn't on. it? Isn't it? we got a... Hey, would you want me to say? Can you hear it? I can't hear it. I think it's okay. the mic's probably fine. Oh, oh, okay, fine. Listening. Sorry, I don't, last thing I want is me sound like I might be farting or something. And <laughs> um, what was the question again? We're talking about how the, the physical door has actually become the online door. Yeah, this media. is the problem with online, though. 
If you could target as a golf shoe seller only golfers that were the right demographic, financial demographic for your product and you could only focus them, uh, uh, target them and nobody around or near, okay, you would. But you can't go that finite in running ads online. You can go for the 30 to 50-year-olds. You can go for the certain blooming demographics, certain demographics, but you can't go target golfers only. And so that's why people have still got this scattergun approach when they're trying to generate leads online and marketing online because they're going out to a far bigger group than actually they need to go to. You know, if you want to go to, for example, I've got a corporate wellness business and Mm. so HR directors are really important to us. On LinkedIn, I can target HR directors, but I can't target HR directors that have got this, 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 and this is the category. I don't need every HR director. I need a certain type. I've got to go out to all of them and hope the ones that are the right type respond. I think that's the bit that people forget. It's that it's a numbers game, isn't it? What's the amount of leads you can get in, then create the sales calls. So going back to your first job when you started to learn that incredible lesson that your old boss, what a great thing to teach you early on. When did you think you started to shine? When did you think you started to, a period of time or did something happen where you started to go, I've got a knack for this. This is, could be, you know, I could build my career based on this as in being good at sales and being um, good with people. So my my skill was my downfall. So my, my downfall was the fact that I failed everything at school. I got one O level. I, did, I couldn't go to college or university. I was basically regarded as too thick. So when I went into the workplace, I I didn't have an attitude i didn't have a level of understanding of enough stuff to be able to go i disagree so my boss told me what to do and i did it and i did exactly what he told me to do day after day after day and he taught me a process he said this is what we're going to do we're going to make 100 calls every single day okay whatever you do you must make these 100 calls that went on for 18 months solid okay and then it became a way of life if i didn't make 100 calls i would be letting myself down so I'd been essentially entrenched into a system, ingrained into a process. The process yielded great results. And guess what other people did? They started to make less calls. They started to have their own ideas. They started to think they knew best. I didn't. I just did what I was told by someone who was a proven deliverer of the outcome. And so then when I went on into financial services after I left the office equipment industry, when I was 23, I did that in, in the Far East. When I moved there... I got on the phones on my first day of the job there and I booked in 17 meetings and the rest of the office were like, they hadn't done that between them. And I'm like, they're like, what's your secret? And I'm like, my secret. And I was literally, what do you mean secret? They're like, how did you make 17 meetings? I was like, I picked the phone up and I called people. And it was just because, and I didn't know any different. They hadn't had the same training as me. So for them to book in one or two meetings a day was like, ta-da. But I got these 17 meetings but and i'm i'm on the phone going this is easy much easier than <laughs> london yet they're going this is really tough it reminds me of the film wolf of wall street Ooh. well you know when he can not not in that same <laughs> way of course but you know when he comes into the the sort of the the lower end uh investment or stock brokerage yeah. and he just picks up the phone and starts selling the the result the transformation that it could happen to you if you yeah. bought this stock whereas everyone else was like do you want a stock you've got you know, $50 to spend. It's that sort of mentality where I, I presume, obviously there's a numbers game that you're talking about and you weren't afraid of rejection. But also, is there something to be said for selling that solution or that transformation as opposed to a service or just something that's just good for you? 
But I think I think the way people get wrong is that selling is a skill. If you want to be a lawyer, you go and learn to be a lawyer. If you want to be a doctor, you learn to be a doctor. If you want to run Facebook ads, you go and learn how to do it. Yeah, Most people that fumble through it and learn on their own aren't quite as good as the people that have sat down with pros that have taught them. What makes us think that selling's any different? It's a skill. It's a process you have to follow. There are stages to the sales process. And you've got to learn what they are and you've got to become good at them. For anyone to think that it's just a kind of like, I've got the gift of the gab or I'm great communicating, it's just nonsense. It's a skill. I have to build rapport with somebody. I have to build a connection so that that person wants to listen to me. I can't just talk at them. I've got to work out who they are, how they think, why they think the way they think. And then when I've got that understanding of them, I then got to go follow a process where I learn more and more about how um, my product can solve a problem they've got. So I want to dig into the problem, learn, learn, learn. All of this is a skill set that's been developed by every great professional salesperson over the years. What's happened a lot is that some salespeople got into sales because they fell into sales. And then they've gone in and it's a lot tougher than they thought it would be. You see it in the real estate industry here. You know, I was dealing with one of the big developers the other day and they take on 70 people a month. And they get rid of 60% of them in 90 days. Performance-based? All performance-based. Wow, okay. You don't do a deal in 90 days, then you're out. Now, I'm like, you're spending fortunes on this, which is a whole other conversation, actually. You're spending fortunes on this. Why don't we try and train these people better? Why don't we give them the skills they need? Maybe if you give them the training they need, they'll have a fighting chance of making the sale. Then you won't have to keep re-recruiting people, and then you won't have to keep spending the money on re-recruiting people. Get them to be good at sales. Teach them the skills involved. Get them through a system that I use, which is teach, monitor, and measure. Okay, teach them how to do it, monitor how they do it, and then measure their performance. And keep it really simple, and you'll teach people the skills they need. And this is where, whether it's an entrepreneur or a salesperson, an intrapreneur, okay, everyone's got to sell. So why not be dedicated to learning the skills? You, you absolutely would never go and see a dentist if he wasn't skilled. You wouldn't see a doctor. You see, imagine if you got met a guy that had a marketing agency, digital agency. So tell me, okay, where did you learn how to do all of this? You know what? In my spare bedroom one <laughs> evening. You know, people they were not going to give you the money. No. So it, to me, it's just the same. I think it's really cool because I think you're speaking very logically about, you know, it's a matter of fact. Whereas I think a lot of people listening to this will be like, this is almost new information. I've not had that confidence or that um, that that someone tell me that clearly. This is what I should be doing. And maybe that's not maybe that's not happening. But that's what I feel like people are speaking about these days, where they're going, you know, I've built my personal brand, I've built a social media, but my business isn't doing well enough. And then you speak to them and say why, and they're not reaching out to anyone. No one's coming to them. They're sort of expecting sales to just happen. So you're logically putting in place. What are you speaking to? It's a ten thousand hour rule, really, isn't it? How much effort and time are you putting into this kind of stuff? I'm really interested in then, you went to the, the Far East to then do some work there. When you came back, or my question is, at what point did you start to be like, I can now teach other people how to do selling and, and you know, motivational pieces around their businesses? Because I know you had the businesses that were running at the same time and doing incredibly well. But at what point did you say, I could start to help other people with this kind of thing? Because obviously, like you said earlier, some people are saying, how are you doing this? And to you, it was fundamentally so, I le- yeah, I learned when I went into management. That's how I learned. But the, the, the reality of the situation is it re- I was really triggered one day by a, a girl in a bar, like really triggered. I was in London, in the city, which EC3 was the postcode I used to work. Yeah. 
And I walked into a bar one evening with my mates, and you young people, you won't know what it was like in the olden days. We didn't have a phone in our hand. You know? <laughs> no. There was no phone. There was no there device. Was smoking in the bar and, as well. And we had cash in our pocket. <laughs> you know? What's that? And my, maybe a checkbook on the inside <laughs> of our jacket, you know, <laughs> in the olden days. Um, and I, I saw this girl, and I was with two mates, just someone just like you and somebody else, and we had a couple of drinks, and I saw her, and she was the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. She had this dark brown bob, she had these big brown eyes, she was gorgeous, way, way out of my league. So I didn't talk to her until I had two or three or four more beers, and the guys went, <laughs> go and talk to her. And I wandered over and introduced myself, and she said, what took you so long? Oh. I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you've been staring at me for two and a half hours. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. Anyway, I asked her what she did. She, she had a job. She told me a bit about her family and her parents, and then she said to me, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm in sales. And she went, ooh, sales. I was like, well, what were you hoping for? She goes, I don't know, uh, doctors, lawyers, engineers, stockbrokers, investment bankers, someone with a professional job. I was like, right. I said, now you work for an architectural firm, don't you? She said, yeah. I said, and so I assume your company has clients. She said, yeah. I said, and I'm assuming somebody in the company has to go and get those clients. She's like, yeah. I said, and what if they didn't get the clients? She went, what do you mean? I said, well, if they didn't get the clients, there'd be no money coming through your door and you probably wouldn't have a job. Well, that guy that goes and gets the clients is the sales guy. So you need to offer a bit more respect to the people that are bringing the money through the door to pay your salary. And she looked at me in that moment, and it was like point taken. But what it had done to me was made me realize that salespeople go through emotional highs and lows every day. They face rejection and acceptance up and down every day. A lot of them work on commission only. They've still got roofs to put over people's heads. They've still got kids to pay for. They've got cars to pay for. They've got food to put on the table. They have to do that, even though they've got all of those challenges. That takes quite a character, okay? Quite a character to do that. And they should be given a bit more respect than they're given by most people in the, in the professional commercial workplace that look down on them. These people, if any business has no sales, there's no business. So Maureen in accounts can shut the hell up, okay, because she ain't going to get paid nothing if there's no sales. And John in engineering is going to get no budget to develop any product, okay, unless there are sales coming through the door. And so for me, it's like, wind your neck in, folks. Start realizing these people are absolutely critical and the backbone to business. You can have an average product and sales and be okay. Okay, you can have an average service and sales and be okay. But if you have no sales, you have no revenue, no revenue means no business, no job, everyone's unemployed. So please respect the salespeople. I think it's really refreshing. I love this conversation because it's so refreshing to hear someone talk about something that, like you've touched on there, is so, is so sort of, is seen in such a, a strange way sales. I'm not going to say a bad way. It's just seen in a different way to most parts of entrepreneurship. So... When you're on a stage in front of thousands of salespeople, what's the thing that you want to impart to them? What's the the information or the drive or the purpose that you want to say? I want them to leave this room and be better at what they do. Is it is it that sort of intangible confidence side, or is it like the maybe it's a mixture of both? No, never, never, never confidence, never the intangibles. It's always okay. tangible. Okay, as you can see, I'm very matter of fact. Yeah. People need systems and processes. It's dead simple. It goes back to the beginning of the conversation around goals. We need a system and a process. So if we know what we want to achieve in the 90 days, let's break it down and work out what that is per week. Right, then we know what it is per week. Let's say it's $5,000, just for simple numbers. How many sales do I need to make for $5,000? I need to make two sales. Right, it says two clients, $2,500 each. Right, I got that. Okay, how many prospects do I need for a client? 
I need three prospects for a client. So I need now six prospects for two clients. Okay, so I've got to have start of the week, I've got to focus on six prospects. But how many suspects then do I need for a prospect? Let's say I need three suspects for a prospect. So I've got six prospects times three, and I need 18 suspects. Right, 18 suspects I need. So I've got to focus on finding 18 suspects a week. Divide 18 by five working days. What's that? Three, five, yes, three, whatever it is, four. Four, five, 20, yeah, yeah, three and a bit. So we've got to get that many prospects. And let's just break that down now. Okay, the day starts first thing in the morning, ends at dark. So I've got to find two prospect, two suspects in the morning and two suspects in the evening. So I've got two hours to find a suspect. Okay, now if I said to you, sit down with me right now, let's go find a suspect, which is essentially a piece of data, okay, that we can turn into a prospect. Go and find two of those in the next four hours. You go, here's your laptop, my, I'll sit with my phone on my laptop. You telling me we can't find that? Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You know, when I, when, I, when I worked in sales, referrals for me were everything. And so in, our, in the business I worked in, people, yeah, referrals, we forget referrals, they're so much better than cold leads. Okay, great, referrals. What's your process? Now, for me, I needed to get 45 referrals a week, which meant I would see 15 prospects a week, and I would convert one in three of those, so I'd have five deals. That's what I needed to do. So 45, and no one in my industry got 45 referrals a week. And I'm like, well, that's only nine a day. That's only four and a half in the morning and four and a half in the afternoon. And I just narrowed it down to that. And once I got to that, I was like, well, how do I get four and a half referrals in the morning? Well, I have two meetings every day, so that's 2.25. I'm going to get three referrals from everyone I meet. In fact, no, I'm going to ask for five for everyone I meet because some might say no. But then I was getting nine a day. By getting nine a day, I knew I'd hit my target. And all I focused on was my nine referrals a day. I didn't care about anything else. Everything else was irrelevant. Get your nine referrals a day. And systems and processes are everything for success in business and predominantly sales. I mean, that is a takeaway that someone could use straight away, isn't it? Immediately. Like, are, you, are you looking at how many people you need to convert to then get your money, hit your goals? Because you see quite a lot of people who say, I want to turn over a million dirhams this year or a million dollars, whatever it is. And you're like, okay, cool. Um, what are you going to do? They're like, well, I'm going to nail my personal brand to start with. Yeah. Personal brand. Colours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Logo. <laughs> and it's, it's really important, but it's definitely a, 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 a sort of a side thing, isn't it, to start with? And it can become incredibly powerful, personal brand. I mean, your personal brand, of course, probably brings you a lot of um, interest and intrigue. But it's over time, isn't it? And you've got to create value for a long time. Whereas sales are now, if you've got a solution or a service and you want to sell it now, it's, it's sales. I think we've spoken a lot about sales. I think it's really, really interesting. I, I, I love it. I think I'm definitely going to uh, listen, listen back to it. What I wanted to ask you next is... Are you a good salesman? I'm getting better. I'm okay at sales. I don't mind sales. I think for me, it's like I've, I like to be out and about. So the idea of having to go and speak to people or find them online is fine. And then having to get them on a call, I love. But it's that bit in the, in the start, isn't it? Where you're like, I need to go and get some people online. Especially when we're first... You mean the work? Oh, exactly. That's what I was saying, right? The the magic that you're looking for is in the work that you're avoiding. That's the thing I always tell myself because if you want to get if you want to grow a business, you've got to get more leads in the door. I know that, and everyone that we work with knows that. So do the work, and then you start to get people coming from your personal brand or from ads or whatever, and you're like, oh, maybe I can stop doing out you know outreach or however you want to start getting prospects. And it's like if you stop doing that, what are you what are you what are you allowing to happen? You're almost allowing a decrease in the business. And I think people listening to this will will resonate and be like. I should probably just swallow the pill and just crack on with. Well, half with more of the audience will sit down and they'll use a word, and that word will be but. 
Ah, uh, okay. okay. So they'll use that word. So there'll be people listening to it going, penny drop, yeah? And there'll be other people going, yeah, but it's different in my industry. Or it's different in it. It's different for me. It's different. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And it's just bullshit. But they will be using the but. So for the people that are consuming this content right now that are about to use the but, don't. It's going to stop you. It's the wall that you're putting up in front of your success. Don't. There are no excuses. There are no reasons you can use to justify why your business isn't where you want it to be. All right? It's on you. You are fully responsible. You have to make it work. And if you're not prepared to do some of the things you need to do, then you will lose. And that is on you. Finish. The end. Period. It's done. So own that. And when you do own that, a big weight comes off your shoulder. Because that acceptance means you have to do something about it. And when you own it, then you can start there. That actually works really well with what I want to say next, which is around belief. Because lots of people we work with or know or have, you know, communicate with, when you start to look at what they're doing in their offer and you know, their service, they might be incredible at something, but they don't charge enough. And therefore, it's not really a business. It's more of a hobby. And you want to package it up and create that offer and solution that is then allowed in the market to be positioned in a way that, makes them more money and is more fair and maybe stands out a bit better and people always say but they always go yeah but I, i'm not i don't know if it's that good i don't know if i can actually change someone's life this quickly so how much do you think and i'm talking really about business in general here now or entrepreneurship or you know people that you're in contact with how big do you think or how important is self-belief and how do we get or build that self-belief believing in yourself is critical but that that only comes from knowing what you're doing is the right thing for people. If you're if, if you're if you're solving people's problems, like you're genuinely trying to solve somebody's problem, okay? I'm I, you're a doctor. I come and see you, and I've got a dodgy knee, okay? And you help fix my knee. You feel good, and I feel good because you're doing the right thing, and I'm I'm getting the result I need, okay? Do I recommend you to everybody else I ever speak to about knee issues? For sure, okay? And I've done that. I had spinal surgery. My doctor Dan in London. Dan knows all my friends. Okay, he solved the problem in business. People have problems. Belief comes from delivering an outcome for people, not just trying to flog something to someone so that you can make a fast buck. You know, I, I take the, the, the digital marketing agencies in Dubai. That's the modern day version of double glazing sales. It really is. These agencies in Dubai are promising uh, the world and they're delivering an atlas because they can't do all the things they say they can do. Solve my problem. Then you will have incredible belief and incredible confidence that you can deliver something. If you're just trying to sell something, you, you'll struggle with the belief. I think belief is also around the purpose of the business. So people that go into business just looking for money and they forget about purpose. I think that's become something that... No, I don't. I think there's a lot of talk on, on a lot of podcasts where people say, you know, money doesn't matter or you shouldn't be driven by making money. You know, some of the wealthiest people I know are focused solely on money and that's for them and so we can't sit down and say no it shouldn't be if you're driven by money and it excites you and it motivates you what you can do with it now that could be buying lamborghinis but that could be also solving clean water problems okay that money could be i want to make a shit ton of money so i can solve this problem in this community in this country where they have no water and and the children are you know don't have any clothes to wear so money is a purpose-driven thing. Some people want to save the world, and that's great. But I wouldn't ever say that your belief shouldn't be around money. It, of course, your goal is to solve something. Your outcome of your business is to, at the end of the day, all measurable. Every single business will come down to digits. 
every single business. The success of a business comes down to digits. Okay, the number of employees, the annual turnover, the percentage profit. Okay, the number of clients. These are all digits. It's, it's all mathematically calculated. So, when, when we talk about money, money is just the same, and money is the byproduct of the work that you do. And if you're not focused on money and you're focused on solving a hundred people's problems, then that's good too. Whatever works for you and gets you out of bed and makes you feel good about yourself. I think it's really important because I think in this day and age. People get so distracted. No one stays in their lane. I don't know if you see this as well, but people sort of, they look at building a business or doing something for charity, whatever it is, and they start to look at how they can then do it and they get distracted by someone else. They want to copy that sort of offer or copy this kind of thing. Maybe that's the same in, in sales. Maybe that's the same in um, in the businesses that you've worked with where they, they start getting distracted and trying to copy in a way that makes them not unique and they start to lose their way. And that's why I sort of I brought around purpose sort of topic because... I guess it's not not purpose, is it? It's a bigger goal. So if you want to solve the clean water issue, or you know, sort of help with human tra- trafficking, which we'll go on later, touch on later, if you're not looking at trying to solve that big goal, do you think this distraction plays a part in that journey, and that will slow you or hinder you? I think people over time, because of various technology that exists now, people over time have got um, less patience. And so they go down a certain path because they want the outcome, but they don't get the outcome quick enough. And because they don't get it quick enough, then all of a sudden that shiny piece of paper gets their attention. You know, the the next agency comes along and says, no, they're doing it all wrong. We can actually get you these these much quicker, much better. Oh, really? Rather than trusting the process. And so I think people need to learn to be more patient. I need to understand you don't become a billionaire overnight. You don't become a millionaire overnight. It requires hard work, dedication, and beating the same drum over and over. But it also requires understanding if you are going wrong, what you do about it. So there are a lot of companies, you know, you, you know clients of yours that would have been with other agencies before that were going down a process and it was just the wrong direction for them. They weren't getting what they needed as an outcome. They had to consider alternatives. But I think whenever you work with an organization, it's like stick to 12 months. Have a 12-month commitment to them, okay, and work hard for 12 months. If it doesn't work after 12 months, analyze everything and then find out. But don't jump from one to the other, no. So it's learning delayed gratification, isn't it? Which I guess is a stepping stone in entrepreneurship for anyone listening this early in their journey. Having that delayed gratification, which you don't get in your job because at the end of the month you get paid. So it's quite quick gratification from day one of the month to then they got paid for that. That was easy. Maybe not, but whatever. The point is in entrepreneurship is that it's, it's late. And I really like that analogy with agencies as well because people do just move around, don't they? Especially with social medias, actually. They're like, well, I, I can get big on TikTok. Oh, hang on, Threads is, is, has come along. Maybe I should move there. I wanted to touch on a conversation that I saw you have with um, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. And in that conversation, you you touched on when you sold or were in the process of selling your first business, you lost a little bit of drive because obviously you'd, you'd had that journey. That was your baby. You'd made, it, made the, the business what it was, made the money. And then you sort of went into a phase of your life where there was less, maybe less purpose, it's fair to say. Can you touch on that and also how you found purpose again? And then maybe it is the same purpose now and how you're sort of building on that. So I, I'd sold my equity in a company and I was essentially paid not to work for a year, which I thought was a bloody good idea at the time. But six weeks into that, I realized that my, my life's purpose had ended. And so my routine had ended. And everything changed. And so I went and I saw my friends who I hadn't seen for years and traveled around the world to see them. Six weeks later, I come back and I'm like, now what am I going to do? And when you don't know what you're going to do, it made me feel like what it must be like to retire. 
Like, well, what do I do today? I've now got the carriage clock or the gold watch. They've said goodbye to me. They've given me this check. I've got this pension. Now what do I do? How am I going to fill my time? And that I'm not a golfer, so I'm you know I can't fill my time with golf. <laughs> but I I had that period of time of not knowing what to do in my life, and it was it was very dark for me because not knowing and not being able to get out of bed and go and do something and and feel like I was part of something you know where do I belong you know I, I get my energy from people so I need to belong somewhere you know I love being part of a team you know I need I need I need you know, stuff like banter <laughs> an office drama you know I like to talk about the football when I go in yeah. the next morning so the simple stuff I like to talk about you know how much I don't like Max Verstappen and you know, all that <laughs> you know I like to talk about that um before I get going you know and I, I like to be in an environment that's punchy and high paced and that all disappeared and so that, that 12 months was really, really, really dark for me. When I got towards the end of it and I knew that that period was coming, then the planning started for what was going to become next. And so I then started to get excited and enthusiastic about what I was going to do and what I was going to build and how I was going to do it and bringing on board the kind of people I wanted to do that with. So that then gave me then the focus, the purpose uh, and the vision to, 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 to get my teeth into something that, that at that time mattered. Like I touched on earlier, I think before we start recording, that that energy of like, what do you, what gets you up in bed in the morning? What do you like? What do you do in your business? What's your role? And I, I don't know if you've done the Roger Hamilton genius test, but it sounds like you'd be. There's four geniuses that everyone that you can have, lots of them. But you sound like a blaze, which is similar to me. Where like, I need to be around people. I'm not. I'm not amazing at just sitting and just doing something all day long. But then there are people that this is. It sort of tries to help you hire the right people around you. There are people that love that. They just want to do strategy and they want to do one thing. There's people that want to just come up with ideas and they can't take action. And I think, you know, a lot of people resonate with, you can't always have the job or the business that you, you do the only thing that you like to do. But it really helps if you're in that environment that resonates yeah, there's, with you. There's two things that, that resonate with me with what you just said. So first of all, if you have you ever been to a Tony Robbins event? No, I would love to. Okay, so Business Mastery is a seven-day event. In, in, in we, we, The first time we went was in Vegas. So it was a hot country in the summer, and we had ski jackets on in the auditorium because it keeps it so cold. Wow. But there's lots of dancing. There's lots of engaging with other people. There's lots of moving to keep you alive, alert, and focused. My business partner, Danielle, and I go, She's like, I wish she would just stop with the bloody music and give us this content. Wow. Yes, I'm, I'm like, what content? Because <laughs> I'm like, that's great here, isn't it? You know, I love the energy. I love the people. I like talking to everyone. So you've got this, myself and my business partner, Dan, Danielle. And she's like, I want this information. Yeah. And I'm like, I want the energy. Yeah. And so it's interesting how different people kind of resonate with different things around that kind of stuff. But then I suppose it leans in a lot into corporate culture, corporate wellness, understanding, you know, what people need to get the best out of them. You know, you just said I need to be around people. So if I'm in a company where I feel I belong, I'm in a company where they, they know that I'm, they're going to get the best out of me by making sure the environment's right for me. And then there's lots of activities that are involved, you know, yeah. the paddle tennis and the, and the five-a-side football or whatever <laughs> it may be, you know, the once-a-month goes going and doing a team building event and, and being able to have fun and laugh and, and some music in the office. If they know that's going to work for me, then that's the company's responsibility to do that if they want to get the best out of me. Yeah. And that's different between being an extrovert and introvert as well. I would argue it's not about if you just want to be out there and be loud. It's very much what what makes you tick inside. So when you work with companies and you're looking at their strategy, is that something you would talk about in the in sort of the well-being space and the well-being culture of a business? Absolutely. Okay. It's, so it's, it's critical that companies... I spend too much time understanding numbers, okay, mm. and not enough time understanding people. 
and you look at people within a business, uh, the job of a company is to get the best out of the people. All a company is is a group of people. If we set up a company, it's three people, okay? Four or five people. If it's four or five people, that's now the company. So we're people. So well, the people have to buy the, the props. We have to buy everything else. Someone has to pay the rent. Someone's got to pay the salaries. We just, but we're just people with responsibilities. Every company is exactly the same. Someone's going to come up with an idea for something. It's just a person. So how do we keep those people fired up? How do we keep those people peak performance? You've got to understand them and take time to really care about what matters to them. You know, you may be absolutely focused on solving a problem outside of work that matters to you. And the reason you come to work every day is that you want to help that person out there. That's why you're here. Well, if I've got some empathy towards that and I care about that and I understand that that's your goal and I help you achieve that, guess what? We become aligned. So then I get the best out of you. You have a great connection with me. We do much better together. So this is so critical in businesses. One in four people in Dubai leave their employer every year. That's That's 25% shift of staff. Now that's people going from leaving the country to new salaries, uh, bigger salaries. I mean, people will leave for a 5% pay rise. Why? Why? It costs a company more money to recruit and retrain someone than it would have done to give them the money. It's like, why are we missing this? Why, do, why are we not understanding that? Why, why are people cannon fodder? Why are people just, you know, just, just numbers? Why are we not showing our, as a business? You know, if you're the CFO of a business, you want it to be the least cost, the most performance, the best net profit. That's what you want as a CFO. As the HR director, your job is to make sure that everyone, you're getting the best out of everyone in the business. Sometimes you won't be aligned, but you actually are. You want the same outcome. I don't want to spend any money. I want to spend money on this. I don't want to spend any money. Yeah, but if you do spend some money, you'll get more money. Ah, okay, I hadn't thought about it like that. And so this is where a lot of companies get it wrong. Do you think it's different here in Dubai versus London or if you've worked in the Far East or the US? Do you think the way that people are going about well-being in, in corporates is different? Or do you think it's just the same everywhere in the world at this moment? We're learning how it works. I think it's far more advanced in the US. I think well-being is okay. far more far more on the table it's there's bigger commitment to it but it's evolving here and it's evolving quickly here companies are starting to learn how important it is and you know we're in countries we're a country where there's so many different nationalities and cultures under one roof and so that becomes really challenging you know if you go to any form of event you know the filipinos stick together the indians stick together the the brits stick together the russians stick together that that takes place is that how do we get those people to really integrate with each other because when you do you'll realize that there's so much that everyone can be better at when they are willing to listen and be open and learn from others. And I really like, just going back to what you said there, I, I really like what you said about we're just a group of people. So there's five people in this room now. We, are, we, are, we could be an organisation. And it's interesting because we would look after these people really, really well because there's only five of us. You know everyone by name. You know what their families are doing. And as the company starts to grow, I mean, we, we both work with billion-pound companies, and they're still messy inside. They are still a group of people in just a bigger building. But they, maybe they don't understand each other as well as when you were a small company. So I guess my question is, at what point do people start to forget, do you think, in the work that you're doing, that this is still a group of people? We still need to look after them to get the most out of them. Is there a sort of a phase where they start to lose touch on that? Yeah, at five. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. early on. Yeah, people do. You have okay. to set the culture out at the beginning. You have to be very clear and you have to be very conscious of culture, like really conscious. I'll give you a good example. Um, Allsop and Allsop's a real estate broker. Mm-hmm. I know them very well. I've known them for 20 years. Lewis, when he set the business up with his brother, started in a spare bedroom in a rented apartment. 
They started with themselves and two other brokers. That were all four of them were hardworking, successful guys. So they said wanted to build a company, but they 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 absolutely didn't want any negativity. So they would only bring one person in at a time, a new recruit in, and that person would either rise, okay, and perform with them, or they'd be pushed out quickly. Right? When they got to ten people, they then started taking two people on at a time. But they had a culture of success within that business. So you're either going to be successful and work with us, okay, and you're going to get the benefits that we're getting, okay, or you're going to go. Anybody outside having a cigarette talking bad about the company was gone that day because negativity was poisoned to the positivity and the culture of success. And so when you're really conscious about it and you literally will not take any prisoners on this journey, your top performer starts to become negative. They've got to go. Okay, the group of people, that that team is more important. But the person in charge of that business has to be highly aware of that. And if they've not been trained to understand that, okay, or they've been a solopreneur for many years, or they've worked on their own, or they are, they are one of these solo-type individuals that isn't a team player, invariably they'll forget that and they won't remember because they'll just be saying, we need to get more output, we need to get more results, what are you guys doing? And that's, that's I think, a lot of the time where the problems lie. It's interesting. It's like dropping a green dye into a bathtub of water. It will start to seep out and turn all the water green and toxic after time, won't it? That actually leads really nicely onto your podcast. We've got to touch on the podcast, right? Because there's lots of people listening to this who will be thinking about starting a podcast or at least content. And your podcast, as people haven't listened to Spencer's podcast, it's uh, you've had some incredible guests, some really, really cool guests. And my link that I want to make is what do they all have in common that you can see in terms of the people that have done really, really well and obviously um, give up their time to come to the podcast, successful business owners? Is there a link there between looking after their team and the success they've had from the people that you've spoken to? So when we take the, the, the business people, they, the business people that are successful always care about their people. You know, I've got... Um, Every single CEO that's been on the show, the people matter. Like, they, they, that's an easy thing to say, but they do matter. And they emphasize that when I'm with them. For the guys that are out there, you know, the, the, the superstars that are individuals, they're, they're always going to be. And you need those types of people in business anyway. There's some people out there that have built successful businesses on their own. They don't have big teams of people. Um, and they're focused on the success. It's almost like they want to carry it on their shoulders. Whereas the guys that build scalable businesses realize that that's never going to be possible. And so they understand they've got to bring those people in that really are valuable to the business and care about them so that they can share some of that weight, okay, and help that business grow. I think it's true. I think it's really interesting. And and the podcast is equally as interesting. So for people that haven't started a podcast, maybe they haven't started putting any content out for their business and they're thinking in 2024 that they're going to start building out or getting some more visibility online, what were the steps that you took to start and grow your podcast. And I know that you didn't want to do the podcast, right? You were, it was something that someone told you it was a good thing to do and it's grown exponentially. Just take us on that journey of what was it like? How did it start? So I started making content in 2016, I think. I, I, I got um, my mobile phone and I got a sucker. Nice. And I stuck it on the window in the office. And because I, I was told I needed light on my face. And so the windows were light coming through. So I put this phone on the, on, the, on the thing. I didn't have a microphone or anything. And I made my first videos. And I thought I was the nuts. I took about 100 takes for this one video. Okay. And I thought it was amazing. It must have been about a minute long. I talked a load of nonsense. And I was like, that's the best thing ever. People are going to love that. I'm going to go viral. <laughs> Obviously, that didn't happen. <laughs> Nobody paid any attention. And it was, I look back at it now and it's appalling. But 
I was somebody that was prepared to take that step. And this is the first hurdle. Most people aren't prepared to take that step. Oh, I'm not good. I can't be on camera. I've got a, vo- a face for radio. Um, I can't. Me, no, not possible. And it's just bullshit. All these people have just created a story in their head about why they can't do something. And it's just a story. And that story needs to change. Now, I'll, maybe I'll start with the results of my podcast to demonstrate That's, to people yep. how critical it is. I've done 300 episodes. I started off interviewing people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, um, Tony Robbins, people like that, successful business people, um, and was able to leverage on the back of that to other people in, in that world. I then interviewed people that had been through harrowing and horrible experiences yet had come out the other side fighting. You know, they came out punching and they turned their lives around. And those types of people were fascinating to me. I then started to interview people um, that I wanted to do business with. And so the best prospecting tool I've ever seen on the planet is a podcast. Now, you go and interview somebody on a podcast. This is my process. I have 30 minutes with them before we start. I get to know them. We then have an hour to an hour and a half on the podcast. And then... Two weeks after the podcast, I call them and I say, I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show. Can I buy you a coffee? I've got got a couple of questions for you. What do you think they say? Always. Definitely, yeah. I go and have a coffee. I didn't tell you what I did. I didn't tell you what my companies do. And I just, I think I might be able to help your business. I'm not sure, but I think I might be able to help your business. Can I explain what we do? I then explain what we do. Now, that CEO of that company may not be the decision maker in his business. It might be Jennifer in HR, for example, or whatever. He will then tell me to go and speak to Jennifer. I speak to Jennifer. I say, your CEO told me to contact you. She's then automatically the CEO. Of course, they then see me. I have this product. I think it can help your company. I'd like to explore it with you. Can I have some time? That's my now prospecting tool. Now, if you do do one podcast a day for a year, Okay, you've got 200-odd podcasts if you're doing them five days a week, yeah? You've got 200-odd prospects. Now, someone that you spent half an hour getting to know, an hour and a half them sharing their story, inspiring your audience and you, and you've, you've had all that time with that one individual. How you couldn't want to try and turn that into business, I don't know. Now, if you take 200 people, if you did one a day, and you know what? You don't need a fancy pod to the studio like we're in right now. <laughs> you can go to their office with a phone and two microphones clipped in, download Anchor as an app and tell them, we're not filming it, it's just audio. And you do the podcast that way. Same thing. It, the cost is so small to get that going. Now, of course, as time goes by, you may want to get it better and you know, improve it and better microphones and, and, and cameras and studios and stuff like that. But at first, you don't need any money. You just need the will to invite people onto the podcast. Now, you can say, oh, but I haven't got anyone on the podcast. Where do I start? Go and interview 10 no-names. Go and interview 10 colleagues. Go and interview 10 friends. Doesn't matter. Get it going. Get some up and running. That podcast that you start if you persevere you have systems and processes okay you can outsource everything you don't have to do anything apart from the interview in fact you can even go online now and get 10 interview questions that you might want to ask about it's so easy 
But then you get that chance to bond with that person for an hour and a half. They're grateful because you've shared their story. Okay, you've not tried to sell them anything, so you've had a nice, nice session. Two weeks later, they know exactly who you are. And that's why I think it's so critical. And so when I got into podcasting, I didn't need it for prospecting. I was trying to build my personal brand. That's why I did it. What I learned along the way is that building a personal brand on podcasts, you have to have a voice too. If you're just going to sit and interview people and let them talk, 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 then all you're doing is creating content for somebody else. So there has to be a two-way street. And that's why I asked you a question 10 minutes ago. Mm. You need to talk. Mm. Okay, I want to hear I want to hear your view. This needs to be me and you having a chat like Joe Rogan and Elon Musk. Okay, we've got two guys that are having a conversation, not somebody doing a, you know, a Q&A. That said, if you're willing, which most people aren't, most people are full of excuses, full of stories as to why they shouldn't, couldn't, wouldn't, can't, and they're full of yeah buts. Okay, but if you were willing, this is enormously rewarding. It's a lot of fun, okay, and it's great for business. And I think those three things on their own are enough, okay, to justify why we need podcasts. But let's just go to a bit more data. Five million podcasts out there. Less than 1% have done more than 20 episodes because people give up quickly and it comes back down to the same thing we said earlier. You need to be patient. You need to go into that and commit to it for at least a year. Do one episode a week. You don't have to film one a week. You can film four a month on one day. Okay, you can do four in a day. There you go. One Sunday a month. There's your podcast. Give it to an editor on Fiverr.com. They can edit it all up for you. Go and use your AI or whatever it may be. Post it out on your social. I don't know how to post on socials. Get someone on Fiverr to do it for you. They'll charge you 50 quid. It can all be done. But if you do that for a year, that means you've got 50 people you've interviewed. You will convert from those 50, maybe 10 of them into being your type of client. And it's also not too late, is it? Like there is a, there's a lot too of podcasts for, for podcasting. People, some people say podcasting is too late now. Everyone's got a podcast, but I think it's, there's so much opportunity. Everyone's got everything these days. I think if you see something as saturated and that's a bad thing, I think you're just missing opportunity. I think what? there's so much. Nothing saturated. You don't think? Nothing. Podcasts aren't saturated. You know, when you hear people say, I can't start one now that everyone's got one. You must hear but that. But they don't. No, that is very true. Everyone just thinks they do because they're good at promoting them. Seven and a half billion people and there's five million podcasts. Seven and a half billion with a B and there's five million podcasts. We aren't even, we aren't even looking at the surface, let alone even scratching it. And yet you take the five million podcasts and 99% of them have never done more than 20 episodes. Really? Exactly, exactly. Just in the last few minutes, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned there how your podcast changed yeah. from having really big business guys like Grant Cardone and, you know, these kind of people. You then started to talk to people that you wanted to potentially be prospects, but actually the thing that really drove you was talking to people that had incredible stories of resilience and of, um, you know, going through tough times, but things that most of us can't imagine. And I know in 2023, you did a lot of work on or shedding light or shining light on human trafficking. I'd love to just hear a bit about the work that you've done there and, and how it's developing. So we made a documentary that comes out next month. Um, and that documentary came from the podcast. So I interviewed a guy called Leon Logothetis, who has a TV show on Netflix called The Kindness Diaries. He traveled around the world relying on the kindness of others so he could accept food, shelter or fuel for his motorbike, but no money. When he experienced an extreme act of kindness, he repaid it with a life-changing gift. It's a beautiful TV show. There's two series. It's, it's beautiful. Get some tissues and watch it. Mm. You'll cry your face off because of how beautiful it is. 
But at the end of the interview, I said to him, I'm a little bit annoyed that you got a TV show and I don't. Oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, and he just looked like you're at me now. He looked at me and he goes, why haven't you? Oh, okay. And I had no words. I was as well. Uh, <laughs> I was like one of these people. Yeah, <laughs> one of these people that I'm criticizing. I was. I had no words. He said, "If you want some help, I'll help you." He said, "I'll give you an hour of my time every week for the next six weeks." He said, "If you can make the hair on my arms stand up with an idea, then I'll help you make it." And so, the first session, one hour. We just brainstormed some stuff. Second session, come up with this more about human trafficking because I cared about that. I'd learned a lot about it. Um, third session, there was a director. Fourth session, there was DOP. Fifth session, mm-hmm. there was producer. And they're all on this Zoom. And it was like, holy moly, this is happening. And they said, right, this is you're going into a very dangerous world. Okay, it's like more dangerous than you can possibly imagine. You will get death threats. Your family may get death threats. This is dangerous, seriously. So if you want to go down this path, we're with you because of, of how important it is. But bear that in mind. And then we started the journey of making this this TV show, and we follow three female heroes that have gone on to do incredible work, saving communities from human trafficking and child slave labour. Um, and meeting the first group that I met, a friend of mine, Maria, she's done incredible work, Maria Conciusel. She said to me one day in Dubai, "Would you like to meet some of the girls?" And I met these twelve girls, and in that one moment that I met them in Mall of the Emirates all those years ago, in that one moment everything changed everything changed i'd been suffering with um clinical depression for a period of time that ended that day literally in that moment i realized how tough their life was and i thought you're a bit of a wally with all your drama and man up type of thing um and those girls had come from the slums of bangladesh they had nothing they didn't they'd never washed without their clothes on they had never washed with soap they um they they didn't know anything and I had a chance to make a difference. And the feeling that it gave me of trying to make a difference to those 12 girls who I've, I'm, I'm, they're my family now anyway, all these years later. My, my opportunity to change the lives of those kids in a little way that I did gave me the greatest joy I'd ever experienced. There was nothing that had ever come close to the high that they gave me. The feeling inside of me, and even when I see them now, it's real, always really emotional. Whenever I get them in any environment, it's always really emotional because I know what they went through and I know the pain they suffered and I know where they are now. And so... Once that happened that very day, and and that story's been told a hundred times, but once that happened that day, things changed for me. And it was like, why am I focusing just on being successful in business? I need to focus on other things. Money didn't matter. So where you say money was, you know, should it be a driver or not? For some people, yes. For me, I realized that I don't need money. These these people say to me, what can I help the girls with? I'm like, love. Give them love. I said, give them an hour of your time once a month. Let them tell you their stories. Tell them your stories. Have lunch with them. Okay, have supper with them. Go for a walk with them. Okay, they just need to be loved. And that, for me, was the kind of like the the dawning of a life for me of working out what impact I could have. And I knew because I'd created this media profile, if I was to tell these stories through documentary filming, that I could show other people and hopefully get them to feel what I felt. I mean, it sounds incredible. Where, where can we watch it when it comes out? Um, I think it literally is in two weeks' time. And, well, it's not two weeks. It's the end of this month, so it's three weeks' time. Um, Hulu. Hulu, okay. Amazing. Well, Spencer, it's been incredible chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming on, and I hope to catch up with you soon. Two weeks for the coffee. <laughs> <laughs>